fight the next Always get the early and try to be the best Live for the money, the money is your pearl You blow all your money on your high class girl Really don't impress me because you are the VP Or because you have a 65 inch TV Sleep to your house, sleep to your car When you die early, get your very far Too much, buddy. How are you doing? I got a surprise for you. What you got? Our sipping bourbon tonight. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Here you go. I know I just picked the microphone with that one. Yeah, you mentioned that. uh, You mentioned that in episode one. Go ahead and read the label. Just let our let our listeners know what we're sipping tonight. I'm gonna start from the top. Single barrel sour mash. Elmer T. Lee, man, where'd you get this? You won't believe it if I tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to have you guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, I've had so I've had two bottles. We just finished one on uh, Thanksgiving Eve. You had this Thanksgiving Eve. You drank some of it. I got here too late. I didn't know you, you had sure? it. I, yeah. Okay. So, so oh. that's the second bottle I've had. I got them the November before last. I was unsuccessful this November. All but, right. So I haven't seen Elmer T. Lee in a couple of years, but I'm going to make a generic guess. Kroger. No, but you know what? I almost scored some Weller at uh, Myers this weekend. What? Like they sold the last bottle right before I went in. And you weren't even trying? No. We you talked know, about Weller. Yeah, it all came out on Saturday. And Was uh, that Saturday? It but, was, I bet it was and, gone and you Saturday. Know, you know what? Meyer was selling a fifth of their standard uh, Weller, you know, six-year-old or whatever it is, the what? regular stuff. Nineteen ninety nine. Are you kidding me? So I'm sure one guy went in there and bought every bottle. I remember the Elmer T. Lee at Kroger was like twenty four dollars. Yeah, it was stupid. Yeah. So Kroger, you didn't get it. Did no, you get it wasn't, Kroger? wasn't Kroger. Well, you said you got it last November. Mm-hmm. The old uh, Bolero liquor store wasn't open yet. <laughs> no. The last place that I got it was in the liquor store in Fairdale. Can you? I must have got it right after you. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that, dude? I bought. I don't. I'm probably five or six bottles of it. Has it all gone? It's been gone since November of last year. Oh. I think you got the last of it. You got to stretch that stuff out, man. Oh, mine? Yeah, dude. Mine's been gone since I bought it. Yeah, I don't, mine, mine, Elmer doesn't last. Yeah, I like that. You know, if you have it, drink it. That's it. Yeah. I don't save bourbon. There's yeah. one bottle of bourbon in my house at all times, and it's the current one I'm drinking. So have you ever, have you ever run into anybody that, like, buys a commemorative bottle yes and they don't open it yes what the hell i mean you're gonna die with a bottle of bourbon that is the dumbest thing (laughs) i mean you could seriously put like water in some of that stuff because most of these people don't buy it the the uofl uk makers mark bourbon bottles the people buy and they're like i got the collection i'm like have you drank the bourbon so what is the purpose i mean is the purpose to die with a uofl commemorative bottle of bourbon I mean, I, is that the purpose? What a stupid bird. That's a whole, it's what a is, stupid concept. What is going on, man? Yeah. And I'm not, I, you know, I don't want to, we're so, not calling you stupid if you're a commemorative bottle collector that you don't open, but we question some we of don't your decisions. I question your life choices if you do that stuff. What are you talking about? <laughs> life so, is short. Do what let, you want to uh, do. Let's, let's toast the podcast. Cheers, uh, brother. So, Elmer T. Lee, you like the, I like your new Christmas glass. Yeah, my, my daughter Tia got this for me. It was a thoughtful gift. Stainless steel uh, bourbon glass with a uh, type of walnut outer shell. It's cool, isn't it? It's killer. 
definitely killer. Now we are drinking Elmer T. Lee, and what I like to call that is something like we touched on last uh, episode is Ego Eraser. We got to talking a little bit about ego. So what was that, ego eraser? Ego eraser. Yeah, you drink stuff you know, like this, it just erases your ego. You got to start talking about stuff. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about how you erased your ego. But anyway, <laughs> well, what I, I was maybe thinking. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> initially, I was thinking podcast title, ego eraser. Mm. Or maybe just ego. But here, here's, it's Neil. You know, we talked about this after, after the... Uh, Last episode, I want you to be ready to talk about this openly because, like we said, I think this is a topic a lot of musicians are going to be able to relate to. Yeah, absolutely. Because you have to, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, you have to have confidence to be a musician. But that same confidence can also drive an ego into overdrive. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you always have... Especially, I think, I don't know if it's everybody has. I think every musician that ever picks up an instrument has some type of innate desire to be Elvis Presley or like, you know, like your dad was talking or, or James Brown or Jimi Hendrix or the person. You know, I mean, we talk about rock stars and these people like they're, they're still these legends and giants of the world of entertainment, which they are. So, I mean, I think that when you pick up an instrument, sometimes that is what you see, you know? And so let me ask you this. So if you're, so is this desire to be a star and everybody look at me or is it the desire to make a living? at something you love. I think for me, personally for me, I don't know that, I don't think that that's all ever driven from the same place from anybody. I think it's such an individual thing. For me personally, it's, I've always had the desire to play music because I love playing music. Um, and I think that a part of that has been a, not necessarily a linchpin in some of the things that have been pulled to in, in past bands or relationships that have been the thing that have, have dissolved them. But I think that it's it's always been very, very important that, that I wanted everybody around me to be able to contribute and play and to be the best at what they're doing instead of I've lost I lost track of when is it enjoyable? When is it fun? What feels good? You know, I think a lot of times I've, I've, I've hurt relationships with band members and, and friends that I played music with because I was more concerned about what I wanted to do and, and making that next step so I could make this something that I wanted to do for my entire life, which in the end of the day, I'm not I, I didn't do. So I ruined a bunch of relationships. That's kind of bad to say because I haven't ruined any relationships, but it's just you put this this desire to be heard or whatever it gets in your way of things sometimes that that ego that blinding desire to do these things because my my thing is i never necessarily needed to be the biggest star in the world or, or have my name in lights i really just wanted to be able to write music and play music and, and be a, a part of the process so have you maybe have, i don't know have, have you uh, well Let's back up a little bit. You know, I think uh, hopefully we have some new listeners that don't know us. And, you know, I, th I think it's good to talk about 
So making it in music is not like some pipe dream for you. I mean, you've had what a lot of people would consider big success. Like you won, and I'm not talking big money. Yeah. I'm not, by success, I'm not talking money, but you like won uh, a regional music contest where you won a car. Yeah. You also have entered contests with bands that you guys have won and got recording studio time and different things so you know you're not somebody that's uh not at a level where the potential is to make it yeah but but being a little bit older now i think the hindsight is is that 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 was number one i I never saw those as big things i don't know if it translates to me that that is important or that 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 was something that that means anything to anybody else because it really was like so you didn't it, think it was pretty cool to win a car. It was amazing. But you know what was the biggest amazing thing about winning the car? Was how much I needed a car. I had two cars. They were both about $500 cars. One had heat, one had AC. So I drove one in the winter. <laughs> and, and if the other one was starting the summer, I drove it. Otherwise, I'd just be hot. So it was like out of necessity, thank goodness I won that car. And, and at that point in my life, thank goodness tax season had just come because I got back tax returns so I could pay for the taxes to actually own the car on my own without having to beg for money or take out a loan for the $970 it was because I was a, you know, a, probably, I don't know if Ethan was born yet or it was, it was, what, 2000? Yeah, so Ethan was a one-year-old. So I'm struggling to make ends meet. And honestly, the reason that that I even went to the Fox Idol was because I just spent a week or two chasing American Idol dream because I was at the, it was the last year that I could try out for that. Because um, of age? Because of age. I think that's different now. But I was desperate, man. I'd wanted to do music my entire life. But because of not necessarily decisions or anything like that. I was just not in the, the position. I was working for the post office. I had my third child from, let's see, Jalen was born in 2001, Ethan was born in 2008, and I had three kids within a seven-year window. There was no extra time. My wife, Kim, and I were working separate schedules, so I would work the day at the post office. I'd come home, she'd go to work, at, you know, either managing a restaurant or attending a bar or doing whatever she did. So, I mean, it was just a scramble to actually do anything with music. It was just a barren wasteland of, of music, but I was being a dad. I had the absolute stuff that I had to take care of. So when I won that car, it was more of a blessing that I had a, a new car to put my kids in than it was necessarily like, hey, I just won this thing, look at me. It was amazing. But, you know, the one thing that I always felt that I, I had as as a person, not as a musician or anything else, was a, a big group of, of people that would support support me when I needed support. You know, and, and I don't think that I, outside of family, you know, parents, and uh, ask for that much. So when it when it was something like that, and the 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 uh, call went out to you know put in some votes for Fox and the I don't do that. It, it ended up being amazing. I mean, it was amazing. You had a strong support base. You, you're from a really, really supportive family. Yes. And a lot of close friends. Yes. So during this time when you're like, your your brain is all over the place and your mind is like just driven on making it in music, did you appreciate all that like you should at that time? Or was it something that was just kind of taken for granted? I don't, I don't think that you ever really realize how supported you are. Because 
I don't think necessarily that it has to be so hands-on all the time. I think that sometimes it's okay to not feel that until it's needed. You know what I mean? And in situations like that, you know, I've got this net of people that will catch me if I fall, that will vote, will do these things to, to, to help me because they want to see me succeed. And it's amazing. So I, I don't know that I've ever not known, especially with my family in particular, that I'm supported um, and, and that, that I'm encouraged. But I think in the, a lot of my fear of, of failing my family and failing um, like my kids and even failing my parents and making the wrong decisions comes from that. I think that I'm scared of, of maybe stepping, taking that leap sometimes because what if what if it's something that that not everybody supports? There's a lot of fear involved in that too. A lot of fear involved in taking that leap or moving to Nashville or doing those things that maybe necessarily would have been the things that would have made sense as a musician, but as a dad and a husband and a son didn't. I think that there's a lot of balance when it comes to that. I wouldn't change anything. Oh yeah, I mean, married life and children definitely change. <laughs> change your trajectory on making it as a music star but it's definitely worth the worth the it's worth it squeeze yeah, yeah. yeah and it's like you said you know i was writing some but when that happens you talk about writing you you wrote all those songs as soon as you started having kids because everything changes you know it's like what is this thing in my chest i'm feeling all of a sudden oh i, I do have a heart okay so it just with that big change everything changes so let's go you know? back before Let's go all the way back. You know, we talked in episode one about playing the bar scene in Lexington, mm-hmm. hooking up with Voodoo Symphony. Mm-hmm. How much did your drive to want to make it as a solo musician impact the breakup of Voodoo Symphony? Was that involved there? I think that it was, but even before that, I think Toy and I were playing quite a bit, doing some solo stuff and hanging a lot. And I, I truly believe once uh, Voodoo came calling, I got with Voodoo and did that thing. And, and at that time, I think there was a lot of this stuff going on in Toys Life. He wasn't playing music. Do you and know why? Do you know why he quit playing? I think there was a child involved and the marriage involved. So, But when I met with those guys, Toy and I kind of quit playing, which is no big deal. And I started playing with Voodoo. Now, when, when Voodoo and I played together, it was about the same time that I actually met Kim, who is now my wife, which led us back here. And I do believe that once we moved back home, that was a big part of the reason that we broke up. But I do remember one time in particular that I think was probably the, the tone setter for the reason that the band broke up was we had a gigantic gig at A1A. We had been asked by the, the main, the big radio station, down in Lexington to come play their big event for the year at, at A1A because we were we were the thing we were exploding and we had asked Steve the the bass player had asked a manager at one of his music stores or something that played the congas and bongos to come and sit in with us and for some reason that just ate me up I was like which completely egotistical so was it a was it a money thing like another no, share of the money even, i don't even think we made money it was listen man we're finally starting to get this recognition as a band 
why are we going to bring somebody in to play this special gig who's not a part of the band? I, I kind of felt like, you know, I, mean, I understand he's your boss or whatever, and he's just doing this add-on thing. But at the, before the night started, I was pretty ticked about it. I really wanted it to be the core group. We'd never practiced with this guy before. He'd never set in before. He'd never played with us. So it was more like, as a musician, this is not how we do things. We practice. We do things right. But, you know, that's, I mean, that's legit. I mean, that's legit. So, it, it so felt legit, I mean, but, so. But, but before I finished that, we never practiced. This band, Voodoo Symphony, we never practiced. Is that right? Never. Ever, 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 you ever. You guys were pretty tight. Tight as any band I've ever been in. As tight as, as. So how did that happen? Just a lot of good musicians? A lot of great players. Had a lot of great. And they were a band before, like I said, they were already an established band. So. Was there another guitarist other than you? There was. Uh, Chris Floyd, acoustic guitar, really uh, solid rhythm guitar player. Phenomenal rhythm guitar player. But when you have six people, like you talked about last that, that's a lot of egos involved. And when you're a bunch of 20-year-olds, 21, 22-year-olds, it's nothing but egos. And, and I was every bit a part of that. So if I say there was a leader in the band, I would say it was Steve. Steve was the head of that band. He kind of called the shots and ran the show. He's the one that brought in he, the conga player. Yeah, he's the bass player, one of the twins. Kyle, who I talked about last week, is the one who I talked about just thinks in a different way. So Steve, I would say, was probably the leader of the band. Like I said, man, it was just kind of one of those things, and I, I made it known, and maybe because I made it known, it was an issue. And, and when I, got, I came back to Louisville within a couple of weeks to move back home, and I got a phone call saying I was out of the band. That, and that was it. Who called you, Steve? I don't remember. 100% honest. It might have been V, who's the drummer, who's unbelievable drummer. He's every bit of uh, Carter from Dave Matthews. He can do everything. He does it all. So when I talk about heartbroken, man, I was heartbroken. Those guys were my brothers. You know, I hung out with Kyle all the time. Chris and I played acoustic all the time. Rudy, the, the saxophone player, is one of the baddest saxophone players. He was a, the best saxophone player at Kentucky when he was a freshman, and he was with us. Was he a, was he a music major in, in the UK a, band? He was a music major. I don't know what he was with the band. He ended up winning Hard Rock, hard rock Calling in like 96 or something. No, not 96, like 2010 or something. He was a guitar player, the lead man. Uh, played at London, Gastonbury, or whatever it is that the Hard Rock Calling Festival over there. So he was dynamic, dude. He was the show. He was amazing. I mean, were you the amazing? Uh, were you the first in the band to start taking the family path? Was that part of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was. That was a big part of it. I think coming back the separation, and I mean, I think the 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 argument set the tone, and and prior to that. I mean, this is so. It was an argument. It was like I was. I was heated. I, was, I did not appreciate that. And, but you know, prior to that, they had, they had tried to kick Rudy out. They were going to kick the saxophone player out without telling him. And I exnayed that. I was like, "That's not. You can't." How do you kick somebody out? How do you kick somebody out without having a conversation now, about what they're happen? doing? I mean, if he shows up for practice, what do you do? Well, even oh, though you guys didn't, we practice. didn't practice, but at the same time, it's like, man, you can't. And that was my whole point. You can't have a. You can't kick a guy out without telling him he needs to change or something's wrong. So I, I, I put my foot in the ground on that, and I think that because of that, it ended up kind of biting me in the butt. So you're, you're admitting tonight, and, and I appreciate that. I want you to stay open with that. You're, you're admitting that you had an ego oh, yeah. that impacted the dynamics in the band. 
How many egos are we talking about in Voodoo Symphony that impacted the band? Well, there were six of us total, but I mean, how many, like, we were a bunch of kids, and there was not a lot of honest conversation or conversation at all when you're not practicing, not hanging out as, as so much, and especially my life changed 100%. So it's interesting, though, so you, when you talk about Voodoo Symphony, you know, you guys, uh, you, you guys had at least a state following Maybe yeah. a regional following. We were definitely getting. We we were on the cusp of becoming something pretty crazy. So so something larger than a state so. following. I, so I don't know if that's. true. I feel like that's true. I feel like that. I feel like when everything was was going, it was getting ready to be something pretty cool. And after all that, I don't know whatever happened. I'm sure that they. I know they kept playing. They had a different guy that came in. He was a better guitar player than me. I don't know about better singer. Probably a better songwriter than me at that point because, you know, like I said last time, I didn't go through, I didn't have my ego shattered like that before. I didn't know somebody could break up with me at that point, you know? So so you, you talked about that. You <laughs> felt like that was needed to help you grow. Yeah. So did you... It helped me grow. It didn't help me learn. So you didn't lose this ego drive that you had to be number one at this time? Um... Or is that what it was? When you talk about ego, is that what you're talking about? Like I'm, I'm the person in this band. I'm the no, one that's going to no, make it. So no, what, no, when no. you talk ego, what, what do you mean by that? I don't know. That's a pretty interesting question because I think that, I think that by ego, I think that there was a definite standard that I wanted met. Example: When I bring a song to my current band now, there's never a point where I play the song and I go, "Here's what I, I want you to play. Here's what I want you to play." There's never that. That's never been me. But what I think my issue has been is if, if you don't play what I hear, then I won't say anything, but eventually I'm going to move on. And that's a terrible thing to do, I think. I think that that's an issue. I think that there's there's been open communications with this and that, but I've always egotistically thought that I need to be with better players. I need to play with better players. It's not about the fun. It's not about in the moment. It's okay. not about, it's about, I need guys that can do, I need to be the worst musician in the band. So I was just thinking when you were saying that, does that mean that you want better players around you to help lift you up? Or does it mean you are the best player in this band and you don't need that to be so, you need better players? I, I don't want, I don't need to be the best player in the band. But even that that's still egotistical because I can't enjoy, I couldn't previously enjoy the process because all I could hear was the bad spots, even if it was me. It didn't matter who it was. And even now, if I'm the worst player in the band, guess who I hear? It's me. I hear the stuff that I do wrong. So you're, so, pretty, you're pretty critical of yourself or not? Um, yeah, man. What I, about, what, have you, has it always been that way? I don't know about critical, uh, but I... I'm very comparison. I'm thin-skinned, number one. I'm, I'm super thin-skinned. It, it's taken me this long to be able to hear criticism and, and be able to accept it as it's not bad. It's constructive. Learn from it. Don't take it personally. I've always been thin-skinned when it comes to that stuff. So feelings hurt are, are real easy for me. I'll give you an example right now. We do our first podcast. We send it out to our friends and family, and the first person that responds is my brother-in-law, who I love more than anything, that says, you ain't no Joe Rogan. I ain't listening to that stuff. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I really wanted to send a message to say, 
you're a real jerk, man. <laughs> but I didn't because I know he don't mean it. But my first, my 15 years ago, I'd have probably been like, you jerk. Because I just, it's, he's kidding, number one, I hope, Kenner. But if he's not, who cares? Who cares, man? I certainly enjoy the the conversation and the process and the what kind of doors it opens creatively. So, yeah. You know, it's funny, this conversation. So you've got this concept of ego. Mm-hmm. Ego is not understanding that we're all one. We're all the same. We've got a lot more in common than we have different, and it's not me and you and them and us and and it's kind of like that in a band you know that's what oh. you're talking about so this band is us we're yeah. all one if yeah. we're if we're going to be successful we all have to be one if it's like me and you and you and you and you we're not going to go as far and that's going to hold us back well and it, you just it, there seems to be a point where you can't relax because you worry about that stuff i think at some point when you're when you're in we talked about the pocket last podcast with your dad. When you're in that pocket with with people that you want to be around, that you love, and that you love to play music with, there is no time to think about that. You don't. There are no egos. It's an ego melting experience because you don't care about that. There are no wrong decisions, and there is no decision maker. You know, I've never I've never felt like that's been my where my ego lies is in. Here's my vision. You're going to do my vision. I don't feel like that. I feel like I've always felt like what's the next best thing, I think. And that is so egotistical to me to be always trying to find that better. Yep. If there isn't a better. But that, that that's human, though. You know, it's like so. It's so the grass you, is always greener type of shit. You know, so how, you know yeah. How do you balance that? That's, 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 how do you that's control it? Yeah, how do you can how do you control that? You know, how do you two ways to have the the biggest building in a city? You can you can tear everybody else's down, or you can uh, you know build yourself higher. You know, it's I like, love that. That's awesome. <laughs> and I didn't that, that's uh, I didn't make that up. That comes from somewhere, but it's something Nietzsche. I heard. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, if, if you think back, I got two questions that come to mind. So one, I'm, I remember back to episode one. One of the things that I learned about you, and I knew they were important to you because you you still play music with them all the time. But you said two of the biggest influences in your musical journey uh, were Jeff Donahue and Daryl Ray. Mm-hmm. So who who else are were big influences to you? And then the other thing I'm thinking, like what when you think back and you know, you have I don't know if regrets are the right words, but you think back to what you learned and how ego negatively impact your journey, what's some of the biggest regrets that you have and things that you wish you would have played a little differently? Uh all right, first part. I you know, I was kinda of thinking about this today. I remember being 17 years old and uh, maybe 18. It was pretty for my for my brother. I, you know, I, my my brother lived in the house that I currently live in now, and I was junior or senior in high school, living with mom and dad two houses down, and we started listening to a guy a bluegrass band called The Glutes, and then this guy, Shannon Lawson. Shannon Lawson had a blues band and a bluegrass band. And he is one of the first guys that I remember going to a bar. We went to Saints in St. Matthews. I don't even remember if it was called Saints at that point. It may not have been Saints. 
But walking in, he had, he was sitting in a chair because he just broke his leg, I think, playing a show, jumping around on stage, if I remember correctly. So he's sitting in a chair, and he's playing with this little three- or four-piece blues band, and it's unbelievable. And I'm with Katie Bird who uh, and, and Ben Bird at the time and getting introduced to, to this this player musician that has this voice of an angel so i heard him and i think we got a tape that night i think chris still has the actual tape shannon lost the blues band like a cassette a cassette tape <laughs> i don't know where you can play it these days but uh, it was unbelievable and then the next time i saw him play he's with a bunch of bluegrass players i mean steve cooley on the banjo is one of the baddest dudes around uh on banjo or guitar just a larry a bunch of unbelievable players and they played this bluegrass that was the most fun thing i'd ever heard. i wasn't into bluegrass i thought bluegrass was just old crap music and i hear these guys and it blows me out of the way it just blows me away so in in the years that i needed an influence somebody to really like to see it live and go that dude i, I get it and then he ended up going to nashville and making a record in nashville i think for rca or mca Still down there singing and songwriting under, um, I think he's still under Big and Rich's label as a songwriter. So, I mean, he still does the thing. And I don't communicate with him or any anything like that, but he was a, he was a really big influence. He, There was one night that I, I don't remember if he had a gig and it got canceled. We were going to go to a gig, and I believe that it got canceled. He ended up showing up at Frank's Garage, and he and I played for probably two hours. Oh, that's cool. Just sitting there with a couple flat tops, playing music, singing, having a good old time, and I'll, I'll never forget it. So for a long time, Frank's Garage was like a thing. Dude, Frank's Garage was like Daryl's house on uh, Axis, you know? <laughs> it was like everybody showed up to play music in Frank's Garage. I was there every weekend. I mean, it probably, we probably logged more hours in that garage than his truck that's sitting down there right now. Listening to the radio, he's got the best setup. He has the coolest, coolest setup, with, with, and he's such a music loving nut i mean we talked about him with broken arrow band and how influential he was during that period of my life i still have a picture when i'm just started when daryl was teaching me mary had a little lamb and i couldn't stand it where i'm i'm sitting on frank's lap broken arrow band sitting around my mom and dad's living room with a bunch of acoustic guitars frank has a fiddle which he can't play by the way <laughs> in his hand, I mean, it's it's a classic picture, and, and it's it reminds me of my childhood and my first real love and experience for music, uh, because I think even before I knew what I, I that I loved it as much as I did, I was already loving it, and that was just seeing it was like, man, that's crazy. That's everybody. I think Jeff was there. Daryl's in it. Just just that that influence. Number one was my biggest influence. Regrets. Oh. Regrets. Let me hold on. <laughs> you need a refill. Yeah, for the regrets. Now, so my biggest, one of my biggest musical regrets is Toy. I mean, we've talked about Toy a lot and how much he's influenced me and you and everything. But our relationships changed because of music. Because there was a point in time where I realized that I wanted to write songs. That that my my gift as a, my gift is not a guitar player. It's not a singer. I truly believe that if I have any sort of gift, it's to be to do some songwriting. And it may not even be that good of a gift, to be honest. It may just be okay, but it helps me. 
it, it allows me to say what I need to say. It allows me to release from stress. It allows me not to cuss out the world at times where sometimes I need to, need, not need to, or want to. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when, about the time where voodoo had just got done, I'd moved back. Toy was here. We were spending, we were hanging out all the time, I think. Had Toy left UK at this time? Toy left UK. I had left UK. Both were married. Uh, he had a child. I had one on the way. At this point, one of the biggest musical influences, which I haven't talked about, which one of the, th- I grew up in church, Fredo Christian, and the guy who was the preacher was a music minister as well. But his son, Matt Davidson, and I ran together like crazy. And Matt was the best bass player in Kentucky. When he graduated high school, he was the number one bass player in the upright state. Bass. Upright bass. He could do everything. He could play upright. But he was just... The reason I knew it was upright bass is Neil was playing in the air. I was doing the dance, the upright <laughs> dance. So I even remember when he opened up for... He played with the... Uh, who sings on the boardwalk? On the boardwalk. He was the bass player for the doo-wop band. They opened for uh, Martina McBride. And he, he, he was like, man, come with me. So we went and did all that stuff. So he was a big influence on me, too. So when I came back to town, and, and, and Toy and I had been playing a little bit, and we'd always played. I remember there was a certain point in time where Matt and I— Time out. The Drifters. Okay. Isn't that the right? Drifters. The Drifters? Okay. Yes. So he played—it might have been the Platters that he played with. It might have been the Drifters. I don't remember. <laughs> but he played with you know an old R&B, unbelievable band, and it was like three-quarters of the original lineup. But he was always real encouraging to me. I mean, anytime I'd seen, he'd be like, dude, you just hit that. You sounded just like that. Oh, this so he was a big influence in my life as a young player. He also introduced me to all kinds of stuff that got me in trouble later. So he was, he was wonderful. <laughs> Preacher's kid, man. So um, when I got back in town, we had lunch one day, and, and he said, man, I got this kid. You need to meet with this kid. And I was already playing with a couple people, but... Prior to that, I Toy and I were playing, and I had told him, man. So this guy introduced you to Toy? No, this guy introduced me to a guy named Jody Jones, who was just, but this is, to preface that, go back to the Toy situation, because I was wanting to be the songwriter who had these original songs and ideas that were getting out there, and I thought that I needed to be the guy to do that. Why, I don't know. Why did I need to be the singer of the songs that I wrote? So were you playing out with Toy at this time? or I don't even remember if we were necessarily playing. I don't think I don't know if it's when we were or not. Uh, it's kind of muddy at this point. It was so long ago, and there's been so many bands and so many regrets and, and this and that. But the conversation that I remember is, is me telling him that I wanted to start a band, but I wanted to be the singer because it was I wanted to write the songs. And, and I don't know if... I don't know if that uh, if our relationship has ever or will ever be the same since then because I really my ego was so big that I thought I'm going to be the dude. I wanted him to. I've wanted him in the band. Don't get me wrong, but I wanted to be. I guess in that case, I wanted to be the guy, and, and I never really wanted to be the guy, but I did. So egotistically enough, I was. I, I'd lost. I feel like I lost so much in that conversation because we've never had the same relationship. Even as friends, we've never had the same relationship. Uh, even today? Even today. And I know and he's you, forgiven me. And you think it's because of that? 
I feel like that's that it was such you don't realize I don't think how close we were. I mean, dude, we were like brothers. I spent I mean, I called his dad pop, you know, uh, mom, ma. me and him and, and, and Sean uh, Flaherty <laughs> before he passed away. I mean, just hours. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that I really just feel like I hurt him so much in that conversation because of my ego. So did you say anything in particular? No, I, I don't think so. But I do think that it that because what you're saying here doesn't sound that harmful. I don't know, man. I really do. Yeah. I th- so I th- did so so did Toy want to be the songwriter and the lead guy, or what was the conflict here? That's what, that's uh that's not real clear. I think the conflict was I just wanted to be the guy, and, and which would mean, hey, man, you need to back up. I don't know if it was said like that, but if somebody said that to me as a thin-skinned guy, like I told you, I'm thin-skinned, man. If somebody was like, dude, I'm, 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 uh, I'm starting a band. It's going to be all original. I'm doing all the songwriting. I'm doing all the singing. When, when he and I have been this, I mean, you talk about holding We were interlocked. He would do one. I'd do one. We did everything. So Toy a, is one hell of a talented dude. He is. Were you, he's, he, well, were you threatened by a toy, do you think? No, because I always thought he was better than me. But you don't, so you don't think that was a threat? Is that not why you wanted to suppress? Did you want to maybe suppress maybe. his talent a little bit? Maybe that was it. Maybe that's part of it. Looking at it now in hindsight, uh, that was never a part of the thought process. But I never even considered that question until you just asked it. So, yeah, I mean, maybe part of it was that. I never felt like a competition with Toy at all. And I and I don't think that I thought that it would it would change our relationship, but I, I really can point to that that conversation and say that nothing's been the same since. It's been very. I think my my ego in that moment hurt him a lot, and I could understand that. Like I, I completely get it, especially because we were as tight as we were and we played as much as we did, and and I mean it. it, it it sucks that that happened. So this 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 conversation seems pretty personal, but you know, I think uh, reason I wanted to uh, ask you to talk about this in a podcast. I think there's going to be a lot of musicians that, if they're honest with themselves, can relate to what you're talking about. Yeah, you've got to have some swagger, if you want to call it or whatever it is, to get up on a stage, entertain a crowd, and sometimes that can morph. And evolve quickly into a huge ego, mm-hmm. which can start leading to just destructive things. Yeah, and, and I know that that has been, especially in my younger years, part of it. I, there's no doubt that when you're in the groove and when people are cheering and after every song, I mean, those old two, key to, two keys days, I mean, you feel like we are the Rolling Stones. It's getting ready to happen this is look at all these people that are cheering for you so you know i mean granted you're playing other people's songs <laughs> you're playing a bunch of stuff that they're going to dance to but you or any other band in the world so what are you getting egotistical about man you're doing the same thing that the radio can do if you just back off the the guitar and let the radio go so let's it, it's interesting to talk about this and and uh I didn't meet Toy till till later, but you know one of the things that really strikes me about Toy is one he's a he's an extremely talented guy. 
And I, I wonder how he has evolved to the place where he is today because he is uh, he he would prefer to coach mm-hmm. somebody else <clears throat> than to be in the spotlight himself. And I know that you know he's talked that we you know we talked about O two G last episode with my dad and and Toy. You know he he uh, he said he had more fun in that band than he's had in any band because. There were no egos, like you said, and he was just part of a band. He mm-hmm. wasn't the act, you yeah. know. And uh, he he loves to make he loves to make everybody around him better. Yeah. So I'd like to hear how that evolved for him because I'm sitting here thinking, hearing you talk about your your ego and your mental state early on, and then I think about where you are now because you have taken the strong position of a very influential mentor to a very young guitar player right now. <laughs> yeah. And and you seem to really, really enjoy it. Yeah, I do. I do. But you know, man, it's it's I think you when you get to the point where I am now, you kinda have a lot of little lessons about stuff like this. You know? And and he's kind of entering into a pivotal part of his life where he's making some major decisions. And how, how old is Spencer? He's 17? He's 18. 18? Getting ready to be the oldest senior in Kentucky at 19. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, man, he, he's a good kid and a hard worker, and he really wants to make music his thing. And, and that's part of the process is, is, is telling him, hey, man, you can do that, but you got to work for it. But you got to watch out for these pitfalls. There's a lot of 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds in bands that are making a lot of horrible life decisions right now that that hopefully he'll avoid based on some of these type of conversations. So when you think about music, I mean, you know, you think about, the, you know, your late nights, you're in bars. How do you, how, how do you try to uh, best prepare him for what we're talking about tonight and how to not let your desires hold you back? I think he probably has a lot better bass than I did. I, not saying that my parents didn't, you know, give me a good head on my shoulders or anything, but I think that he just gets it a little bit more than I did. He's so into the intricacies of the music and the guitar that he's more focused on the actual music than the what happens. And I think maybe that was part of the problem with my ego is I needed a result. And hey, I. I What's gonna? Ha- I need something, you know. I need. Can can this be my life? Can I make this my instead of just having fun, and just letting music be music and having that the process play out however it plays out, and enjoy it instead of like I was talking earlier and making. I need another player. I need somebody better. I need to do this. I need to be with. You know, it becomes a, re- a revolving door that you create, and there's no stability, which creates no type of energy or feel or any of this stuff. The guys that I've been playing with for a long time now, other than Spencer adding him, at some points it's serious, at some points it's not so serious. So there's not the pressure that that I've felt because I'm not a 20-something-year-old with three kids and trying to do something else with my life. So this band that you're with now, is this is this the longest you've been with any one group? Yeah. And, and, but, I mean, really, I've only been with three bands ever. Uh, th- these guys I've been with the most, and... There's been really no changeover other than adding Spencer, which was kind of... So how many people are in your band right now? Five. Who are they? Doug Kaiser on bass, Josh Rubel plays keys, Aaron Lambert's on drums, and then Spencer Corbin on on lead guitar, and then me. 
But Josh is a, is our keyboard player, but he plays bass for Jenny Carr. He's probably a better bass player than keyboard. He's probably, if not like, definitely the best musician in the band, best singer in the band. But he has the least time of anybody. All of us have kids and family and all this other stuff other than Spencer. He's just kind of along for the ride until he goes on for college and does his own thing. But you guys are giving him some great experiences. Good experience. And hopefully trying to teach him to avoid some of these pitfalls, the thin skin when it comes to don't don't be afraid of a critique. Listen to the advice and, and, and adjust. Take it in. Don't take it personal. You know, and I think that's been a lot of a lot of my problem, you know, not taking it personal that people don't like your style. You know, some people just don't like anything with guitars. They like electronic beats. They're not going to like your stuff. Don't take it personal. I think egotistically, I've taken that like, what do you mean you don't like it? How can you not like it? You're stupid. You're, you suck as a person and everything <laughs> else, and I'm right and you're wrong. You know, we. I think I've spent too much time doing that, thinking that, Come on, man, I've got to be right here. Right? You know, and that's all the ego in you. Lately, I think the joy in music has been coming back out. And I think part of that is just the creation process itself, being able to do this, being able to record an idea when you have an idea. If you if you want to put together a song, it's easy to do now. So you can, you can get some of that frustration out. And I think for me, writing and recording and doing that stuff is where I get a lot of that out. And personally, I think if you don't have that layer, you don't have as much ego to kind of go through. So Spencer, did he just join your band not too long ago? Well, Spencer kind of came about in a weird way, man. Um, I was playing down at Fairdale Pizza one of the nights you kind of probably talked about previously because I had a little run where I was playing at Derby City Pizzas quite a bit. And um my brother came down to one of the nights he w- was there, and uh, Scott Corbin, Spencer's father, Chris said, hey, man, bring Spencer down. Bring bring a guitar. And Chris mentioned something to me. I was like, yeah, man. But Spencer came up, and it's just one of those things that when you play with somebody and it's like, oh, okay, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, and that was pretty cool. And then it was like, oh, okay, that's I would have played that if I wasn't playing this, and he just did it. So a lot of that is that. His ability to play was up there. He goes to school for it. He does it all day. It's all he wants to do. Is he going to go to Belmont? It's looking like he's going to go to Middle Tennessee State, which is in Nashville. Yeah. They offer a program that uh, nowhere in Kentucky does that's music-related. So he is going to probably get to live out his dream existence and be have music involved with his life forever. So is he one of those kids that's all he does, play the guitar? That's all he does. When he gets home, he plays music. He does what he has to do, and then when he's not doing that, he generally has a guitar in his hand. Were you like that at his age? Well, um, I, I kind of like your dad had sports in my life. So I played baseball, and uh, it was a big part of my life. It, it's not interfered with music, but it has been each has been a detriment to the other. Because if I would have focused on one or the other, I may have, you know, like if I would have went to school for music or just played baseball. But I loved them both so much. I think they complemented each other because of the way that I learned how to be on a team and do these things. I think that eventually led me into being a better bandmate and being a better uh, teammate and being a complementary uh, person as a player, as, a, as much of a musician. So, but, but I think that I lacked the focus of one or the other. So I kind of wanted to do both. 
when I was his age. And that was a big, big issue for me, really. I mean, because I went to UK to play baseball, but then I went down there and played music and got a zero zero. <laughs> um, so you have, you have somebody like Spencer, 18 years old, talented. Is, is Spencer a songwriter? Does he, does he's he, starting. Any, anybody that is angst, that, that has something that they don't know what it is. That's all of us, right? It's all of us. For some reason, if you can grab a pen and write, if if there's something that I look, I don't need to say this out loud, or I don't want to, st- and I can just write. I can many times get out everything that I need to on a page, or a, even if it's a, a paragraph, and finally relax and move on, and, and, and allow that thought to go. You know, it's kind of like what you were talking about last uh, last week with. Hey man, sometimes if I if I'm not going to force it, if I get so far into a song, and it ain't there, it ain't there. Well, sometimes if I have an emotion, maybe I just need to write that out, and it's six lines, and I'm done with it forever. But that thought process that was that negative whatever that I just needed to get out, at least it's there and not still in my head and in my heart and in my thought process. I can leave that there, close the book. And move on to the next thing. So a lot of times, I mean, even in songwriting or any of those books that I have, if you look through it, that might be what it is. It might be my frustration in the day. Okay, I'm a. It's a hundred and three. I'm hot as hell. I don't want to be on these streets. Blah blah blah. But I write it in some type of poem, song form. At least I got it out. There's my frustration. It's on a page. That's never going to be a song. Uh, I might have written it trying to be one, but it ain't. But at least it's out. I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to feel that anymore. That book can feel that. You carry that book with you all the time? I've got about 15 of them. Okay. <laughs> all right. So in a nutshell, oh. what what's the big change from where you were? How old are you, first of all? Oldie. Hit the big portal yeah, in okay. September, so you're man. 40. Okay. So let's say 20 years. Over this 20-year span of what you learned, what is the big difference, if you had to put it in a nutshell, what's the big difference between where you were 20 years ago and what you do with music now and how it's, how it's impacted you, how it's changed things for you? I think when it, when, it comes to, when it comes to my feelings of other musicians, one. Number one, stop thinking that there's like a quota. Everybody can be successful. There's enough space for everybody. Somebody being successful is not taken away from you not being successful. They didn't take your spot. You know, be undeniable and then you'll be fine. You write a song that's undeniable, it's going to be undeniable and it's going to be a a good song. It doesn't have to be a hit to be a good song. Enjoy other people. Enjoy other people's art and their creation and their music and, and, and what they do. Because I think for years I didn't allow myself to do that. I couldn't. I, I am so stupid that I couldn't go to major people in concert because all I would do is sit up there and like compare. What am I doing? Comparing to who? Why can't you just shut up and enjoy what's going on and, and, and accept it for what it is, man? They are sharing their gift with you. They're not taking your space. They're not taking your spot. There's not 25 people on a roster here. It's open-ended. Just like, get out of your own way here. Allow yourself to enjoy things, number one, because number two, it inspires you. It makes you better. 
So when you listen to people now, you're not judging or evaluating? Dude, I'm just listening. It's so much better just to go, that's awesome. Oh, I love that. Oh, I could hear me doing something like that. You know, we talk about, last week you mentioned how how Brent and Kyle, when I was talking about Brent West and, and Kyle Morgan and how they think, and, and you mentioned, well, I mean, it was probably a lot of their influences. And you're right. Because you have to allow yourself that. What do you love? It's going to be influenced in what you write. So if I write a song that's bluegrass, it's going to sound like a Shannon Lawson glute song with a Billy Strings uh, current bluegrass sound with a old school, you know, Hank Williams sound. All that's going to intermingle because I like that stuff and it's going to make me write what I write that's completely different than any of that stuff. But Stop comparing yourself and thinking that they're taking your spot. That's big for me. Recently, like my big joy has been able to go to a show and get out of my way and just enjoy the show and take notes and be like, ooh, what can I steal? Ooh, what kind of stage presence can I can I nab from them and do here to make myself better? You know. I'm 40. I ain't going to make nothing big of myself. I'm not getting ready to, to sign a contract and be the next Drake or, or Eddie better. I'm not. I'm a 40-year-old man that, that loves music and loves the process and loves the creating. And, and that's maybe, it. But maybe some hot and upcoming artist might pick up one of your songs. They can have them all. <laughs> you know, I mean, because the whole point is allow that. If that's what happens, allow it to happen, man. Get out of the way of yourself. Get out of the way of your thoughts. Because the only person that's hurting yourself is you. And, and I've done that to myself with, with like I said, with bands and with the, with the other people. And But that was because I couldn't get out of my way of my thought process and allow my ego to shrink enough to be like, dude, love everything. Love it all. Enjoy it. Make it part of who you are as a person and a writer. Well, you and uh, you and Toy are two people that I want to have involved in Top Hill recording, and you know, so it's going to be it'll be interesting to have Toy come up here and. Well, he, and the funny know, part is, he'll probably be like, "I don't know what he's talking about," <laughs> but to so me, you think it's more on your side than his. It'd be interesting to find out. Okay, it'll be yeah. interesting to find out because. It just has always felt like a thing to me. And, it sounds, and, and, it sounds and, like some guilt. It's definite guilt. There's no doubt about that. All my influences in my life are still a big part of my life. I still am, talk to Jeff and Daryl, and and I text Daryl about, we talk about guitars and this and that, and if I play, he's there. I mean, it's we talk. And Toy's the guy that that I miss. I went to his piano recitals when he was a eight-year-old. I was probably five. Down at the, where Fredo Pizza is now. I'll never forget it. I went to probably three of them. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing with us. You know, when we talked about that last time, I thought that would be a good episode, and I'm sure people can relate. I mean, ego is just something that's in everybody, but really when you're in music and you're up on stage, and it's, it's a real thing. So, so yeah. thanks for that, man. Thanks yeah, for buddy. sharing. Let's do it again All right, next so week. We, we, uh, well, we're not done yet because oh, we opened up today's episode Loser. with a SOL <laughs> song. Loaded Loser. So, you know, what do you think about that song? Wow, come on, man. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I love a, that song. <laughs> so that song was written a while back, you know. it's a, That was about 
1999. Well, it's a good song to go out on because when you have a big uh, ego, you got to get over. Sometimes you feel like a loser. Yeah.